You are listening to a podcast from West Wind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. Thank you, Boz. That was awesome. I, I needed that, and that was perfect. It really sets us up well for this morning. So good morning, everybody. My name's Scott Carson. I'm one of the elders here at West Wind Church, and um, you know, I just want you to know I wore pants for you today, okay? So if I screw up this sermon, just remember, I wore pants for this, all right? So actually, you know, it, it's funny, right? Usually I'll just wear a polo for a call, but pants for you. Um, this morning, we're going to be jumping into Luke 9, and uh, this is kind of a fun time of year when we get to see some new faces or some different faces uh, bringing God's word, and you know, I'm one of those faces. Last week, we got to see Michael Bosworth. Uh, he preached from Luke 8. Next week, we're going to hear from Kevin Ray talking about the, the latter half of Luke chapter 9. Um, so I know it's summertime. I know that uh, we're going to miss a Sunday here and there for traveling or for whatever reason. So I really want to encourage you, go out to the website, go to westwindchurch.org and go get up to speed on any sermons you might have missed. And really, it's not so much the sermons. We want you to be tracking along with us in the book of Luke. So that's my encouragement. Please do that this morning. So as we get into today's message, uh, get into today's message, I just want to start by asking you, What's the biggest question you've ever faced in your life? I want you to think of a question that carried weight, that you could feel in your chest, um, that made your hands sweat, that made your mind race, okay? Let your mind go back to that time and just remember what that was like. I'll give you a second. Okay, now I want you to think about getting up this morning, kind of wandering downstairs and deciding, what am I going to eat for breakfast? Okay, what's the difference? What is it about certain questions that give them such gravity? I'd really love to hear your answers. If this was a life group discussion, that'd be way easier than this. But this is what I would say. The true weight of a question is equal to the impact of the answer. I'll say that again. The true weight of a question is equal to the impact of the answer. Now, there are secondary factors like timing or incomplete information, uncertainty, impact on others. Yeah, those things all matter. But simply put, big questions, they're big because the answer has a big impact on your life. So like I said, we're going to jump into Luke 9, where Luke is going to bring us to the biggest question that's ever been asked. I know it's a bold statement, but I really believe it. This is the biggest question for all times, the biggest question for all peoples, the biggest question for you, for me, our friends, our neighbors, our families, our coworkers. It's the biggest question for your past, for your present, for your tomorrow, for your eternity. This is a question that demands a genuine answer and an active personal response. So I wanted to play a YouTube video this morning that would introduce us to this big question. But Nathan said no. He said that's against copyright law. So thank you, Nathan, for keeping me on the straight and narrow here. But this is what I'd like you to do. After service, write this down. Go out to YouTube and just punch in Who is Jesus? New York Street Interviews. Okay? 
So just setting the stage for that, what it is, it's just people um, walking around Central Park and they're asking a simple question, who is Jesus? And here are some of the responses they got. Let me just rattle through these. Who is Jesus? Historical figure. I think he was just a normal person like us. He was a selfless person. I have no clue. He was a man. I think he was a marketing genius because he got people to believe him. I don't think he was a son of God. I don't believe that at all. He was a magician. He was God's son, but you know what? So was Gandhi. So was Muhammad. We're all God's children. Jesus is someone I pray to. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. He's the symbol of ultimate forgiveness and love. Another said, Jesus is Isa in Arabic, and he was a messenger as well. Another said, someone who is extremely enlightened, both religiously and morally, someone who tried to impart wisdom on others and make the world a better place, someone who saw something special in others, a lot of love and hope. So, I kind of spoiled it. What's the big question? Well, we're going to get into that more together as we jump into Luke 9, verses 18 through 27. So let's read that. If you have your Bibles, open that up. If you have your mobile device, pull it up. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation just to, to read something in plain English here. So starting in verse 18, one day Jesus left the crowds to pray alone. Only his disciples were with him, and he asked them, who do the people say I am? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say you are one of the ancient prophets risen from the dead. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? Jesus, or Peter, then he asked them, who do you say I am? Peter replied, you are the Messiah sent from God. Jesus warned his disciples not to tell anyone who he was. The Son of Man must suffer many terrible things, he said. He will be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He will be killed, but on the third day he will be raised from the dead. Then he said to the crowd, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but are yourself lost or destroyed? If anyone is ashamed of me and my message, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in his glory and in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. I tell you the truth, some of you standing here right now will not die before you see the kingdom of God. So this part of the story, it starts with Jesus going off to pray like he often did. He's going to spend time with his Father. He's communing with the Trinity. So yes, Jesus was man, but we have to remember he's still God. We obviously, we don't know what Jesus was praying about, what they were talking about in the Trinity, but I really wonder if they were talking about the cross, about the fulfillment of his mission as the Messiah, as God's chosen one. Jesus is about to reveal his full identity and purpose to the disciples and to every reader of Luke chapter 9. So my goal this morning is really simple, okay? My goal is for us to take on the big question together, to discover how our answer should impact our lives, 
and to look at how our lives reveal how we're really answering the big question. So Jesus, he starts this conversation with the disciples by asking, hey, who do the people say I am? Luke had actually introduced this question a couple of verses earlier. If you flip back to chapter 9, verse 7, it says this. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard of all that was happening, and he was greatly perplexed, because it was said by some that John had risen from the dead, and by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen again. Herod said, I myself had John beheaded, but who is this man about whom I hear such things? And he kept trying to see him. So Jesus' ministry to this point, it was getting attention. His teachings and his miracles showed that God was doing something special. People were drawn to him. And even a ruler like Herod, he was compelled to ask, who is this man? When Jesus asks his disciples who the people thought he was, they repeated, John the Baptist, Elijah, one of the old prophets, so I think there are actually some similarities in these responses to the modern ideas, modern day ideas we hear around us. Some responses that we hear today to the big question are that Jesus was a man, a gifted teacher, a spiritual person who was especially in tune with God, or maybe even a prophet. So these answers, they're not necessarily wrong, but they're totally inadequate. Calling Jesus a man, a teacher, a prophet, it's like this. It's like going outside and watching an F5 tornado just rip through your neighborhood and then walking back in and saying, gee, honey, it's kind of breezy outside. Or maybe it's like you go to a Super Bowl. You go to the Super Bowl to see your team play in the Super Bowl. You find your seat. You sit down. You're all excited. Kickoff happens. The game's starting on the field. And then you just start watching the kicker on the sideline just kicking balls into the practice net the whole game. You miss everything that's going on on the field. So these simplified views of Jesus, they vastly underestimate his power, his authority, his plan, and his purpose. So during this dialogue with the disciples, I imagine Jesus, he's asking the first question kind of casually. Maybe he's looking off into the distance as he just asks them, hey guys, who do the people say I am? But then you feel the tone change. Jesus turns from the horizon and he locks eyes with the disciples. They can feel their hearts starting to race as Jesus is looking right into their souls. And then he asks them this simple question, but who do you say I am? So to the disciples, they'd been with Jesus. They'd seen all his miracles. They'd heard his teachings. They'd received special revelations about the meanings of his parables. They'd seen Jesus calm the seas and raise the dead, confound the religious elite. They knew that Jesus was more than a great teacher or even a mighty prophet. At this point, Peter kind of musters up his courage and he utters his response to the big question. He says, Jesus... You are the Messiah, the Son of God. So right now, just take a minute. I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to imagine Jesus locking eyes with you. 
This isn't a man on the street interview. This is Jesus standing across from you and asking, but Scott, who do you say I am? What's your answer? So if in your heart of hearts you answer like Peter, that's great. I want you to stay with me because we have a lot more to talk about. But if you don't know how to answer, or maybe you're honest enough with yourself that you don't know if you really believe the the Sunday school answer, then please be open about it. Don't fake it. This is a big question, and I know that God wants to help you answer it truthfully and personally. So in Matthew's account of this story, this is interesting, Jesus responds to Peter's confession of faith by saying this in Matthew 10, 17. He says, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. So Peter, he didn't come up with the answer to the big question on his own. He didn't learn this in Sunday school as a kid. God revealed it to him. We have to be honest with God and ourselves, asking him to reveal the truth of Jesus to us in such a way that we can answer the big question with the, eight, the, with the weight of our entire self, our entire being. So imagine right now, Peter has to be feeling pretty good, right? Jesus, he slaps him on the back. The disciples are probably high-fiving, maybe like chest-bumping each other. Yeah, he's the Messiah. But then Jesus, he throws a grenade. He's about to rock their world with this. So read verse 21. Jesus warned his disciples not to tell anyone who he was. The Son of Man must suffer many terrible things, he said. He will be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He will be killed, but on the third day he will be raised from the dead. So the people, they wanted a conquering king. We know this. They saw Messiah as the reinstitution of God's favor to his chosen people. But think back, from that day in the garden when sin first entered the world and it drove a great divide between God and man, God was putting a plan in place to do so much more than just create a mighty nation. Verse 22, this verse, it's the key change in the whole gospel of Luke. So you know what a key change is, right? Can you think of a song that has a really epic key change? I was trying to think of one and I, you know, I got lazy and I just Googled it. Songs with epic key changes. All right, and this one is, was one of the good ones that popped up. All right, you ready for this? Sing with me when you know it. <clears throat> Whoa, we're halfway there. Whoa, living on a prayer. You know it. You can laugh at me, but you know the song. It's okay. It's all right. It's just an 80s song. It's okay. But then think about the song. Go back to the 80s. Remember your big hair. Think about what happens in the bridge, all right? You have this huge, soaring 80s guitar solo, and then the drums start going, bump, 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 bump. And then what happens? Bon Jovi, he goes from here to here, and he goes, whoa, we're halfway there. I can't hit that note. Yeah, I can't hit that note. Bon Jovi can. (laughs) But this is the key change in the Gospel of Luke. This is where Jesus, he goes from just a great teacher and a miracle worker to the Savior, not only of the Jewish people, but of all people. 
Remember the announcement of the angels to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to who? To all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, he's been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. I believe Jesus, he gives us a glimpse of this back in chapter 4 when he quoted from Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. So Jesus, he didn't come just to free the Jewish people from the captivity of Rome. Jesus didn't come simply to heal their physical ailments or to free them from the oppression of injustice. Jesus came to release all mankind from that captivity of our sin-induced death sentence to shine his light on blind eyes that we can see as truth and to free us from every form of oppression rooted in sin, in the flesh, and in the attacks of our enemy, Satan. Who do you say I am isn't just a big question. It is a loaded question. It's loaded because the simple answer that Jesus is the Messiah, God's son, it carries with it the powerful and the simple gospel that an eight-year-old can grasp. And it drives the cry of the Apostle Paul who says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. This key change, it's exciting. It gets me fired up. It should get us excited. It's good news. Jesus came to fix everything that was broken by sin. Now, I have to calm down, and we have to talk about how to bring this home to you and me. So let me ask this. How does our answer to the big question impact how we live? So remember when I said big questions are big because they have a big impact on your life. Now that Luke has shown us who Jesus is, we have to decide if we believe it. But this isn't just like a head knowledge belief. This is a belief that has to consume your entire being, your entire life. Luke's argument, it's it's orderly, it's logical. He lays it out like this. If you believe Jesus is the Messiah, God's son, then you will follow him and you will live your life a certain way. Conversely, if you don't believe that Jesus is God's son, the Messiah, then you will follow self and you will live your life that way. So let's jump back into verse 23, see what Jesus has to say about this. Jesus says to the crowd, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. So we see here the audience in this section, it expands. We've gone from just the 12 disciples to the crowd of followers. But if there was anyone in this crowd who was just following Jesus around, hoping for like a free meal and a show, they're about to be rudely awakened. Jesus, he has some heavy words. He says, if you really want to follow me, you're going to have to give up your old way of life, put away your old way of living, you have to put it to death, and make me your everything. Jesus, he lays out three conditions or requirements. One, give up your own way or deny yourself. Two, take up your cross daily. Three, 
follow me. So the basic call of the gospel, it's repent and believe. Jesus, he's calling us to repent. He's calling us to turn away from one way of life and to turn instead and follow him. To deny ourselves, to deny ourselves, we have to admit that we have impulses, we have desires, aspirations that are all motivated by selfishness. That's where we have to start. So I think marriage provides really good insight into this. Now Liz and I will be celebrating 16 years of marriage in a few weeks, but when I go back to that first year of marriage, the biggest lesson I learned was on Saturday morning, do not wake Liz up early. I'm, I'm just kidding. That's not the number one lesson. That's true, but that's not what I'm getting at. What I really learned in my first year of marriage is that I'm selfish. I'm selfish. And so we were married for a couple years. Um, I had to work on that. God had to work in me to work through that some. And then, you know what happened? Joel and Molly came along. We had two kids 17 months apart. They were hard babies. They were colicky and not very much fun. And you know what I learned then? I am selfish. I'm selfish. Our whole society, we're plagued by this. You think about marketing. It's driven by one consistent theme. You deserve this. You're worth it. Seek your comfort. Seek your own pleasure. Maybe at a more philosophical level, we've been trained to self-actuate, to work the world around you, to become who you are, who you want to be, to achieve what you want to accomplish. So according to the world, identity is self. But now, Jesus, he comes along. And if you answer the big question the way Peter did, Jesus, he's calling you daily to give up your futile, futile attempt to create an identity in stuff, experiences, and self. Instead, he calls us to find true identity, true purpose, and enduring joy in following him. You know, sometimes, to be honest, I feel like it'd be easier to have faith. It'd be easier to follow Jesus, his will and his ways every day in my life. If I could have just been there, if I could have just seen Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead, if I could have seen Jesus walk on the water, if I could have heard his teachings firsthand. But really, when I've thought about that, I think in this instance, we have it easier today. We have the benefit of seeing the whole picture. We see the full story of the gospel revealed in scripture. Like the 12 disciples, we now know who Jesus is. He's the Messiah. He's the suffering servant. He's the conqueror of sin and death. He is my Lord and Savior. He has walked the path before me. Our understanding of who Jesus is and the conviction we have in believing that that determines if and how we follow Jesus, especially when times are tough. So check this passage out from John chapter 6, starting in verse 66. Jesus, he'd just given another hard teaching in the synagogue. At this point, many of his disciples turned away from him and deserted him. Then Jesus turned to the twelve and asked, Are you also going to leave? Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? 
You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know you are the Holy One of God. So when we get the big question right, there's no turning back. When we know Jesus for who he really is, there's nothing else worth giving our lives to. You know, I say this, and I might be saying it like it's easy. It's not. It's hard. I get that. I've been wrestling with this. It's been so good to interact with God through this passage and to be convicted myself. But Jesus, he knows it's hard, too. And because of that, he keeps pressing in. So look at verses 24 and 25. Jesus says, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but are yourself lost or destroyed? So Jesus, he exposes our hearts. He knows we're going to want to keep going back to self, getting drawn back to the world. So what does he do? He appeals to logic. He says, when, not if, you find yourself heading back down the wrong path, remember the stakes. It's healthy to use these verses as like a personal barometer or to look in the mirror. How we live reveals what we really believe about Jesus. I'll say that again. How we live reveals what we really believe about Jesus. Look at how you're living. Do you believe Jesus is God's son, not just your savior, but your Lord? Just be objective. If your life doesn't line up with your words, it's time to get really honest with Jesus. Get really honest with a good friend. Come find me after service or shoot me a text or an email. Let's talk. Look up Pastor Keith, Pastor Jason. I know they would love to engage with you on this. Talk to Jesus yourself. Just pray. Pray with some good friends. Jesus is waiting to show himself to you. Who do you say I am? I just have one more point about this. So regardless of how we answer this with our words or our lives, the truth is Jesus is who he is. What we believe about him, it doesn't change the fact that he is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. Luke, he really emphasizes this point, that we aren't simply dealing with a great man. The one all of us have to deal with is the Son of God. And whether we believe this truth or we, or we reject this truth, it has eternal consequences for each of us. So Jesus, he hammers this point home in verse 26. And to be really honest with you, I don't like this verse. It makes me uncomfortable. I wanted to skip it. But let's read it. Verse 26. If anyone is ashamed of me and my message, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in his glory and in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. Let that sink in. Being ashamed that can be interpreted as rejecting. If our lives are not in alignment with Jesus' call of discipleship, if we continue to live for self instead of living open-handed and following him, we're in effect rejecting the truth of who Jesus is. The scary reality is if we reject Jesus, we're hopelessly lost 
We're condemned in our own sin. We can't fix that problem. But the glorious hope for all people everywhere is that Jesus, God's perfect son, he paid the price for our sins on the cross and he destroyed death when he rose from the dead. And now he extends this free gift to you. All you have to do is believe this good news and follow him as your Lord and your Savior. Make him the leader of your life. So for those of us like Peter, who would call ourselves Jesus followers, I want to make one last point. Discipleship, it's an ongoing process. If we follow him over time, we learn more about who he is. As we pick up our cross daily, putting our old ways to death and turning from self to him, he stands for us. He clothes us in his righteousness. He gives us a helper, his Holy Spirit, to lead and empower us. He has secured our salvation on the cross. If you follow Jesus, you have experienced this. And so my side challenge for you is don't be ashamed. Draw others into that hope that you found in Jesus. So I'll close with this, finally. Each one of us, we're answering the big question, whether we know it or not. We all have a choice to make. And this choice it has daily implications and eternal consequences. I want you to walk away with just one simple idea. This is it. Remember this one thing. I want you to turn and face Jesus. Look back into his eyes as he stares into yours. Listen to him as he asks, who do you say I am? And then look at your own life and honestly answer the big question. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for Luke who brings us to this truth that Jesus, you are the Messiah, you are the Son of God. Now please help us to interact with that big question, who do you say I am? It matters so much. Help us to be honest with ourselves, help us to be honest with you, and I pray by your grace and your mercy, Jesus, that you would meet us, you would bring us to the truth of your gospel, you would lead us into discipleship by the power of your spirit that we can follow you every day for your glory, for our good. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Pastor Keith, he's going to lead us in a time of communion.